3: Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCI US LLC.
4: Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to The Pulse, live from our studio here in Kokoblimli, Accra. We are live on DSTV Channel 421 and GoTV Channel 125, around the world on MajoOnline.com. This afternoon, we pick expert view on how the Niger crisis will end as the military janta proposes a three-year transition period, far apart from Equus' drive to have its democracy restored immediately. We have analysis uh, from the experts uh, also coming up this afternoon. we we'll take you live to Johannesburg, South Africa, where preparations are underway for the start of the 15th BRICS Summit. Blessed Suga is there for us. Uh, we have all the details from this summit for you here and week long Chale Water Art Festival set to come off at the Black Star Square this afternoon. Well, are there? That sounds. All of these and more we have for you in this package. It's a pleasure to be with you. The pulse is brought to you by Global Communities loo affordable safe sanitation for all, and in partnership with charlie Water Street Art Festival coming up from the 21st to the 27th of August 2023. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and on myjournal.com for these and more. Welcome. Now, the political crisis in Niger is not ending anytime soon with ECOWAS and the military junta split on how to restore democracy there. Over the weekend, an ECOWAS delegation led by former chief of defense staff of Nigeria, Abdul Salam Abubakar, met with the leadership of the military junta and even had discussions with President Bazoum. But they fell short of the ECOWAS demands and immediate restoration of constitutional rule. We have analysis of this for you shortly. Right now, though, let's look at how Equas has has dealt with previous coups. Uh, If you look at it, we've had eighty-four coup attempts since nineteen ninety in the sub-region. It has had fifty percent success rate. That means forty-three of it have been successful since nineteen ninety. Now. Uh, you know, if you look at between 1990 uh, and now, or if, you, if you're if you looking at, say, 1990 and 1999, there were 26 coups. So, uh, within a period of nine years, there were uh, 26 coups in the sub-region. Now, out of that, and, and again, between 2000 and 2009, another nine-year period, we had 13 coups. in in the sub-region. Now, let's uh, look a a bit more further. Um, We've had between uh, 2010 and 2019, uh, so that's also a period of nine years, we've had 39. Uh, Between uh, 2020 and and July 2023, a period of three years, we've had nine uh, coups in Africa, and that's staggering, really. Uh, So it, it means that there is... And there are three coups every year between 2020 and 2023, July. We've not even ended uh, 2023, but these are the number of coups we have uh, in Africa. So, so uh, these paints a, a quite disturbing picture of uh, military takeovers on the continent of Africa. On Friday, Air Force defense chiefs concluded their meeting in Accra and signaled their readiness for military action
5: it is beyond even our expectation all the member states have committed you know something very concretely all of them and uh, yesterday we had the arrival also of guinea-bissau you know to join us really? oh yes so everybody is here and everybody has committed something you know for the mission so uh, we are very pleased with it yeah but like i said this is a plan b okay we are ready you know but uh, uh, we still give peace a chance we want them uh, to come forward with very concrete uh, you know sort of proposal for a peaceful resolution of the crisis yeah and that begins by them receiving A mission from ECOWAS. We have not arrived at a date to deploy the force, and and I'm not going to speculate on it. That is not our decision, right? These are the uh, military chiefs of the region who are meeting. They, you you see, when you are going into a military operation, there are Plan B, Plan A, Plan C, and others, and you choose the scenario. Depending upon development, so I cannot tell you that we've chosen a day to you know, yeah, that is um, an ambiguity we'll always keep.
4: So, we asked the question this afternoon will the military operation happen? How should the discussions be knowing that President Bazoum is still under detention? Joining us now is Mukhtar Moumani. He is a security analyst and has been following this uh, matter keenly. Mukhtar, grateful for you to join us here. We're also expecting later on to be joined by Ismail Hrover, who is an international relations analyst. Now, uh, Mukhtar, you have studied this particular issue for quite some time. Um, Mm -hmm. We didn't, over the weekend, ECOWAS and the Nigerian Janta met. It looks like all of us are, are, are far apart. The Junta says, I will return the country to democracy within three years. ECOWAS wants an immediate uh, return to democracy. How must the two parties approach this matter, looking at uh, where we are now?
6: Well, first of all, for me, I think this is a big window opportunity of opportunity and relief in terms of all stakeholders who have been advocating for the use of diplomatic and non-military measures uh, as a mode or tool for intervention in the Nigerian crisis. Uh, As you you stated in this, uh, your analysis, you remember on the second day of the engagement here in Accra, we had communications, which was confirmed by Ambassador Musa that they had communications from the junta in Niger, that they were willing and ready to engage uh, ECOWAS. And so for me, that was initial, Uh, moment of, you know, great opportunity uh, to take advantage of that, to expand the window of diplomacy, to ensure that we avoid a military type of intervention at all costs. Uh, Now, it is clear that there is more than enough goodwill on the part of the military leaders to engage with ECOWAS. ECOWAS's own uh, objective right now, our goal should be about how do you work with these military leaders to ensure that we return the country back to civilian rule as soon as possible. But it has to come with a good level of goodwill, goodwill and good faith uh, from both sides to ensure that both are willing to make commitments that are in the interest of the people of Niger. I think that at the moment, ECOWAS needs to do make a significant shift in terms of of their posture and approach to negotiating with the military leaders. Uh, That posture is important because if you notice, uh, since the 30th of July, the military leaders declined to meet with ECOWAS and ECOWAS's negotiation team. And it was largely because of the lack of good faith and goodwill in dealing with that. There was some level of deficit of trust in dealing with them. Now they have made a commitment to engage with ECOWAS. ECOWAS needs to work beyond just, you know, the trust. And I can see that ECOWAS still makes some kind of commentary uh, and insistence that do not, you know, help in terms of building goodwill. I don't think that uh, it's about insisting that they must return the country to to civilian who own a particular deed. It has to be a working process of negotiation to ensure that all of them uh, make commitments and arrive that is good in the good interest
4: of the people of Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Which means ECOWAS is getting, uh, is getting it wrong on the approach. How, what must they do now? Because they want a return to democracy now. The gentleman That's says three right. years. So they do.
6: It's not just ECOWAS that wants a return to democracy. Mm. Every actor, every stakeholder, including even the, the military leaders in the country, they recognize that the ideal and desired form of government. A civilian milit- I mean, a civilian democratic rule mm-hmm. and that is why they have communicated their commitment to return the country to civilian mm-hmm. Uh, if you've been following ECOWAS probably in the last four or five years and how they have responded to situations, uh, you would understand the difficulty that ECOWAS is involved in right now. Yeah. ECOWAS is very challenged in terms of legitimacy, in terms of confidence uh, from I mean, the region. People think that ECOWAS has been weak and incapable of leading as a regional body uh, in terms of... Building, uh, you know, a foundation of goodwill, uh, taking care of regional security matters, and so this, they think, that is an opportunity to ensure that ECOWAS is deterrent enough, ECOWAS is effective enough in ensuring regional peace and stability as a regional leader, and so mm-hmm. that's why you see these kinds of measures and approach that is being uh, adopted by ECOWAS. But the danger is that mm-hmm. you would have this kind of situation. Um, undermine the efforts, the peace process that you're looking to initiate in dealing with the, I mean, the, the cool leaders. Because if you take very, very, um, strong positions. Uh, without committing to any, you know, reform, any kind of change, it makes it difficult for the cool leaders to want to work with you. And I think that ECOWAS needs to take a bit of a step back and engage on the the,
4: basis of goodwill and good faith to ensure that they work in the interest of the people of Niger. Okay. But but is it just the ECOWAS leaders or the jamta needs to also relax a bit in its stance? Sure. Uh
6: it's two-way. It's a two-way street that both have to make commitments. So, first of all, we need to understand the operational objectives for the coup leaders. Mm. Why did they undertake this coup? If you go back to the June 28th uh, speech by the coup leader two days after this school took place, you would understand you know the factors and the list of grievances that they have listed in this speech. It tells you they are talking about the situation of security in the country, security that has gone so bad and that leadership at the time mm-hmm. wasn't capable of responding to the security situation. They're talking about deterioration in terms of governance, in terms of, you know, the economy and other social factors. So this uh, publicly forms the basis for what the coup, uh, why the coup took place. And so if they did that, what are the objectives of their mission? We are all talking about returning the country to civilian mm-hmm. rule how do we ensure that we lay an infrastructure, a foundation that allows this to happen in a very smooth, very, very, um, you know, uh, a very smooth manner to ensure that things, we do not get back to the situation that brought us, brought us here. That involves laying a credible electoral foundation. Election, uh, elections must be, be able to take place uh, in an environment of peace, in an environment that is devoid of uh, rigging and malpractices. It is not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy task. Mm. Uh, even a country like Ghana that is known to be stable and democratic in terms of credentials, uh, one year, two years, it's not a you know good enough time. It's not enough to lay a foundation for credible elections. And so you don't expect that to happen in Niger or any of the countries that are currently dealing with coup situations. We have to be very realistic about the timelines that we're looking at. I know that Ecowas is insistent on this because of principle. The principle that no country within this space must be led by democratic, I mean, by military leadership. We have to ensure that principle is upheld. But you you don't uphold that principle at the expense of security and at the expense of livelihood and at the expense of the entire population. As we speak now, it is not the cool leaders who are suffering, it's the people of Nigeria who are suffering, who are going through daily hardships. In terms of the economy, the borders are closed. They cannot transport goods out of the country. They cannot trade with their regular clients. They cannot get access to electricity and several other important social amenities they need. And it's largely because of ECOWAS's uh, deterrent measures that they believe would have compelled the coup leaders to succumb or submit to them. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, that is not working. So we need to take a step back and review all these processes and construct a posture that is supportive of goodwill and peace to ensure that we go through this peacefully and in the interest of the people of Niger. Mm-hmm.
4: Let me bring in uh, Dr. Ishmael Hrogo, who is an international relations analyst. Dr. grateful for joining us here. What do you make of the feed that was chugged over the weekend, where eventually Equals had its uh, delegation uh, being met by the junta leadership? Dr. Hovo, I, I are you with me? I'm trying to find out from you what you do make of what happened over the weekend where the leadership of the Janta and ECOWAS uh, met to have uh, some deliberations of a sort over the future of, of, of Niger.
7: Okay, good afternoon and good
8: afternoon. For a very long time, the two parties seem to be operating from uh, different positions. So as they now have the, the chance to talk, uh, that means that we are making a headway because talking uh, means that uh, every party to this dispute will now have the chance, chance to talk. Uh, that means uh, means that uh, every the other and they are, and then may be able to uh, negotiate with the other so that their common position can can be can be arrived at. So that's the first step to. Uh, Trying to avoid a situation of combat or a situation of war, which uh,
7: would not be helpful to the South.
4: Well, from, from how things are, how do the uh, two teams build on from where we are? I mean, we're all at, 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 at uh, both ends. We need to have a compromise. How do we go about it? I've always said that, that uh, the are by echoes that the military. Yes, of course. Rec- uh, um, I, I think we we need to um um uh, f- forgive me. We we have to fix uh, uh, this challenge so that we can um you know uh, come back to you uh, this Esther the uh, pause on uh, the joint channel. So Muktar mumini is still with me. Mutazo, what are your expectations from where we are now?
6: Well, my expectation is that uh, we would see this as a huge opportunity for diplomacy to work uh, over military intervention. And that we would expand that opportunity to ensure that we work with the military leaders to help them transition into a civilian rule. Uh, it doesn't help to take uh, intransigent positions or to take positions that are undermining of goodwill in terms of negotiations. Uh, there's a reason that the cool leaders chose to meet with other stakeholders apart from ECOWAS and not ECOWAS. And it was largely because of the, the posture uh, that ECOWAS constructed from the beginning. Because ECOWAS came across as though, uh, you know, in a manner that, you know, created an impression of a, belief, a very brilliant force that is intended to go to war at all costs with Niger. And so that kind of approach must be revised and act in a way that elicit goodwill from the, the coup cool leaders to ensure that we trans, uh, transition the country into civilian rule. Uh, I think that uh, all of us, uh, for at the moment, all of us, we are excited that this is uh, working in the way it's working. The coup cool leaders are interested in dialoguing They've talked about, you know, a roadmap, a plan towards transitioning the country into a civilian rule. Uh, We need to take that into consideration and negotiate with them. Uh, If it can come as soon as possible, it is great uh, because we need to be able to get the country back into civilian rule. But in on a foundation that is functional, that responds to the needs and aspirations of the people, there's a very big element that we haven't been talking about, and that is the elephant in the room. Uh, we why did we, how did we get here? What brought us to this point? We haven't spoken enough about those factors. We haven't talked about the issues of good governance. We haven't talked about the pervasive culture of corruption that permeates within officialdom and the structures of governance. We haven't talked about dysfunctional institutions in these spaces that allow for these things to happen. These things are key if we do not blame a foundation that fits these things, we will return to coups. It doesn't matter how many times we seek to intervene. And so, for me, from the beginning, as I said earlier, uh, look, the the military intervention in Niger does not mark the end of coups in West Africa or Africa. Mm. The end of coups will be marked by our capacity to respond to the needs of the people to do what I call meeting the entitlements of citizenship mm-hmm. and ensuring that we address issues of corruption and pervasive situations of dysfunctional institutions in all the spaces that we're looking at.
4: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Let me bring in uh, Ishmael Hulova now, uh, who joins us via phone now. Doc, I'm grateful for rejoining. So I wanted to find out from you what would be your advice to both teams? Now, the Janta says, I want to return in three years. Equa says, we need it now. We all know that in negotiation, we need to reach, uh, meet each other halfway. So how do you expect both teams to move?
1: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax.
4: From where we are, I mean, to move there, on from where we are now.
8: In, in any negotiation, you mm-hmm. have to always have uh, a position to compromise. Mm-hmm. I think ECOWAS need to compromise on uh, having the country return to civilian rule now and having the former president reinstated. That is not possible. So, perhaps uh, having pushed the military junta to bring out a timetable, they may negotiate uh, the way. Uh, of that kind of, in, in the sense that they have settled. uh at this point, this must happen, so that we, the, 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 we can have a, 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 a measurable target along the three-year span. What and what will be achieved within the first year, what will be achieved within the second year, and then finally, within the third year, when the military will, will, will return the country to civilian rule. And that can be done because efforts already have sanctions in place. Then it is easy to use those sanctions as a bargaining. Well, you say, well, if you meet this particular target that you set for the first year, this and this sanctions will be lifted. And if you meet this other one, then this and this sanctions will be lifted. until so we return to civilian rule. And, and that is the only way to go. So um, efforts must come back and realize that the, the, the whole objective of saying that we send the country immediately to civilian rule and um, bring back the former president is not attainable. In the sense that there are certain conditions that put them, uh, push them to make the coup. And of course, uh, it is not so possible for somebody to take uh, uh, political power and go back to the barracks as easily as that. It's, it's not going to work. So okay. I think that uh, the poster of hand power immediately and return to the barracks have, have to give way to where we have a compromise. Of course, we could also push the, they could also push the military to shorten the, the, the time frame for return to Sulayahu. Maybe... From three years, we could look at two years, so that then all the achievable targets within two years uh, is well documented, and then the sanctions are used as a backup to force them to return the country to civilian rule. So, of course, on both sides, there should be compromised.
4: I mean, like over the weekend, I had the South African president speak to a joint us in South Africa, where because there's going to be the break break summit, he was talking about what. He's going to discuss, you know, uh, with President Putin. How do you expect the international community to react to the latest development in Niger? I mean, with regards to Ecowas now making headway of meeting the junta to discuss the way forward of, of, of issues. So
8: um, what, what happens is that once we are, we are now talking, uh, trying to get the diplomatic looking, what will then happen is that then the international community will respond by, uh, giving uh, uh, the, the both parties uh, the chance to try to reach a negotiated settlement, Because even it is not in the interest of uh, neither party or even the international community to have a military solution to this crisis. So that makes the work of even the South African more easy. In the sense that when they meet uh, 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 Putin, uh, it's not about uh, discussing intervention. They may be discussing will that Russia could also help to make sure that the process of returning to civilian rule is, is achieved, so the, 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 the military option is no longer uh, so, the sole option on the table. They are diplomatic options. Then South Africa could not discuss with Russia uh, how Russia can be part of this process of ensuring that that country return to civilian rule Why must
4: Russia be part of the process anyway
8: uh, of course. Uh, we are, we are in a sub-region where major powers are, are trying to find their grinding. And as you can see, the crewmates cool seem to have some uh, sympathy for Russia. Uh, we, have, we cannot establish yet if Russia is directly involved, but given the flags and all those things, there's the likelihood that they are connected to the crewmates cool somehow. So, yes, in trying to find a solution, uh, they may be involved. Because if you look at it, all the Western powers seem to lend to the support of effort. And the coup nature seems to go to the Russian side. So if you are going to have a solution, these major powers have to be part of of the solution because their actions are part and parcel of the problem. If you look at uh, the the coup, uh, uh, France seems to be one of the subjects uh, uh, being raised by by the coup So, And they, they, they seem to reason that Russia is a better partner. So if they think that Russia is a better partner, then Russia is in a position to somehow influence
4: them in terms of their, their direction. But, but from what is happening, doesn't it look like, you know, the West scrambling for Africa again?
8: Uh, of course, that, 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 that is already in process. Um, we have seen not only because of this coup, but over the years, uh, various parties the geopolitical competition between uh, China, Russia on one side and then and, and the Western world on the other side, trying to get partners through various deals, through various arrangements. So yes, we are living in a time of, of changing global dynamics and, 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 and geopolitical competition. And once you live in this era, you must be prepared to deal with these powers because all of them want friends, all of them want charities uh, that are friendly to them. So. That is also one of the reasons why these schools will will become rampant within the region if we don't address some of the fundamental challenges. Because from the 90s, where it was a purely U.S.-dominated world, where the U.S. can push everybody into democracy, the dynamics have changed. Now you have other entrants, other major powers, other rising powers who do not necessarily uh, care about democracy. They, they, They are interested in who is in power, who can do their bidding. So if you have this kind of dynamic, then you realize that the backing for Western democracy is at a point it was that difficult to make a coup because uh, all the major powers at that time were coming for democracy. Now it is quite easy because you may find partners within the geopolitical divide. So coups have become uh, uh, easier to organize and international support will be there. One of the reasons why it, it is so difficult to get a UN Council resolution to support efforts in terms of going to Niger is because then you have Russia, you have China, who will stand by the principle that they will not interfere in the domestic affairs of another country and therefore are likely to use their veto to block any such resolution. So yes, you are living in a time of geopolitical competition and Africa only have to uh, uh, stand up to this competition and seek a claim for their
4: own interests. Um, Momine, I don't know whether you subscribe to this, that, you know, the, the, the West is scrambling for Africa. If you do, how then do you think we we all should should progress so that we don't have a lot of feelings involved here? To arrive at an amicable solution, everybody benefit, and then we move on. Africa
5: has
6: never been... Uh, away from the scramble uh, in the hands of the West and other partners. Uh, Ever since the Bond of 1844 and the Berlin, you know, uh, meeting, we've always been under these kinds of factors from external, I mean, external actors. And so what is happening may be uh, an amplification of that same thing in very recent history, Uh, but we have never, ever moved away from it. Uh, Now, I mean, this world is a a place of battle, It's a battleground. And so it's either you get prepared for it or you get perished. And so the competition that exists uh, amongst actors, uh, it's it's like that. It's a a competition that you need to to get prepared for. Otherwise, you get victimized by it. So, I mean, if we have vulnerabilities like we have in West Africa, we will inevitably attract foreign actors. And foreign actors will be interested in, you know, they have interest in here and they will pursue... In an engagement in line with their interests. It is up to us to put our acts together uh, in a more, you know, stronger position to engage internationally in the interests of our countries and interests of our nations. Yes, we talk about geopolitics. We are talking about Russia here, Wagner. We are talking about the EU, the West, you know, and even to some extent the Gulf, you know, states. All of them are interested in what is happening in the Sahel and in West Africa generally. And it's because of the enormous, you know, resources the natural resources that we have and what it can potentially do to industrialization in those countries. Russia is looking for raw material all over the world and they're using what they have in terms of expertise and in terms of money, finance uh, to be able to get that in exchange for that. Russia is using, you know, the the capacity of Wagner to restore stability, to restore security uh, among their partners and exchange. They get resources and they get the support they need internationally. They leverage on that. The same way America and the West, they are selling democracy. They're selling the values of democracy and the values of good governance. How Mm. attractive is it to West Africans at the moment? Not much, because everything shows that in the last 15 years, democracy seems to be under siege in West Africa. They are less, I mean, a lot of young people are less interested in the fortunes of democracy than they are about the fortunes of engagement with Asia, especially China, and other actors that look more pragmatic when it comes to dealing with the problems that we deal with on a daily basis. And so those things form the elements that we have to look at in conversations and discourse that will lead to how do we chart a new path of independence, not just political independence, economic independence, social independence, and all the things that resilient and sustainable nations need to build to ensure that you are insulated from foreign interests in a manner that undermines your own interests. We haven't reached that, and there isn't any indication at the moment that we are properly tooled to do that. And that's why I'm very worried about how we engage in Niger, because the way we go about it may uh, actually undermine the security situation of of the country and the entire region, or mark a new beginning of a region devoid of violence, devoid of insecurity, devoid of instability, and devoid of coups, And that is not what we are seeing at the moment.
4: Very interesting thought here, uh, which means that there's a broader, uh, you know, uh, picture that we all need to look at. But is it not dangerous that it looks as though we are playing into the hands of all of these superpowers who who are scrambling for the resources of Africa? If that is it, how must ECOWAS use Niger's case as a test case to try and wean ourselves from the, from the influence of, of the superpowers?
6: You're right. Um, we are not too, at the moment, uh, to, in practice, wean ourselves of you know, the, the foreign influence that we see. We are not properly tooled at the moment. Economically, we are at you know, the, the, the mercy of Western partners and you know, my partners from Asia. Look at the state of our economies all over here. We are in a very poor state when it comes to our ability to fund the key initiatives that we need to build in terms of building an infrastructure for developed and sustainable you know, countries. We don't have that. When it comes to the institutions, we don't have that. We have run down institutions and so we continue you know, to engage in antics that further deteriorate our situation. Recently, you hear of the government looking for, you know, funding to develop, you know, something that relates to public service protocols or something like that by the Bank of Ghana, Things mm. like that are I mean, that, that, Going to the
4: IMF to, to seek for funding to draw up the public, the, um, you know, ethics to govern public service.
6: Exactly. Mm.
4: This is not something we should be
6: talking about right now, let alone go for funding to do that. This is ridiculous. For a 40-year democracy, 30-year democracy that is seen as an example for a region. And so these things, you know, it it should worry all of us. Mm. If you look at the Mm. entire sub-region, the security situation is in a mess. In fact, and I speak from the point of uh, security and violent extremism where I went, 2015-2014 was the peak of terrorist violence globally. And in fact, that period was the deadliest year for terrorism in West Africa. So West Africa, in effect, was leading globally in terms of fatalities. So it was the deadliest region. And we're looking at numbers at around 7,000, 7,500 people in terms of fatalities. Today, as of the, last, the first six months of this year, we recorded over 4,600 fatalities. It tells you that by the end of the year, we would surpass the numbers that we recorded in 2014, 2015. We have over 1,800 attacks. It tells you that by the end of this year, this year would be the deadliest year for terrorism globally since September 11. And that epicenter of violence is in West Africa. A situation like that tells us that we are not in any position at all to contain the terrorist violence that we are are looking at. And if you cannot contain security within your space, then you have no capacity to sustain any gains that you make. Uh, there's a there's a Roman philosopher or statesman who talks about security in the state, and that the highest of law of the land is the security and protection and livelihoods of the people. If you cannot guarantee security, you cannot guarantee anything. That's why I'm worried about the fact that you know, we are not in any capacity, in a position to, to gain, you know, to talk about independence, political or wow. economic independence, because even the basic things, we have shown incapacity to deal with them. And it's up to our leaders now to take a break and ensure that we build a sustainable foundation for these things to take off. Other than that,
4: hmm, we're in a bad state. very scary picture you paint there. So so if you look at it, how do you expect what is happening in Niger to end?
6: Well, I I think that um, if I were part of ECOWAS as a team, I would see this as a big opportunity now. Uh, It saves us a lot, a lot of fatigue. It saves us a lot of resources and time because the the cool guys are willing to engage now. And and from a strategic point of view, I may not take off the military option away completely at the moment because it could still be used as a strategic tool for negotiations. But I would be very mindful of the language you use in dealing and communicating with them. It must be uh, in the tone that is supportive of a process a process that is built around a common cause, and that common cause is to build an infrastructure and a foundation to return the country to civilian rule. Already, and luckily, uh, uh, Ambassador Musa had already mentioned, they are not against Niger, they are not against the people of Niger, they are actually acting in the interests of the people of Niger. So in that spirit, the way you engage with the military leaders must reflect that reality and that understanding and ensure that they work together as a team, in spite of what must have happened in July 26th, we need to take into consideration the larger interests of the people of Niger and ensure that we return the country back to civilian rule, rather than seeking uh, to project ECOWAS as, you know, some authoritarian, regional, big power player that is capable of restoring order and security in this Mm -hmm. space.
4: Mm um uh, dr Hurovo, um from from what Mumuni has said it means that geopolitically we are not independent as a continent talk talk less of you know as a, a sub region which means that we may probably have to rely on uh, russia which is of course the darling of of the junta to then take us through shouldn't that be our option of course as i said uh we, we also
8: need to engage all those external forces that we think have an influence in this situation mm. because their interest is at least. So if we don't engage them, the solution will not come uh, the way we want to. So, yes, geopolitically, so uh, the, the, the South region has really not been independent. Uh, leaders come and play to one of the several major powers at any given point in time. So we must observe carefully. France' interest is there. Uh, Russia's interest has entered the, the terrain. So, all these powers, uh, you must engage them and, and get a solution that uh, brings virtually everybody on board to, 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 to ensure that we, we achieve a certain balance. That is very important. Because without achieving that balance, uh, the solution you may come out with may be unacceptable to one side.
4: Mm. Oh, very, very uh, interesting here. Now, once Equas has gone in there and they've had, they've had some sort of discussion, um, we can bring in Russia to also play a role. Do we have to leave that to South Africa to lead it now that they are in that partnership with, with Russia in breaks, or ECWAS should still go ahead and front it?
8: But if, if, uh, South Africa is still, uh, still part of Africa, the larger African Union. Uh, so if they think that they have the, the relation between South Africa and Russia, if they think they can leverage on that relation and, and get Russia to act in a more responsible way to support a process of returning this civilian then they should be able to do that. Uh see, more importantly, it's, it's about how we are addressing this issue and the underlying costs. If we don't deal with those ones, uh, we may handle this one, and another one will crop up. Because we look at it. If a course can mobilize forces, Within the period that they are asking, bring all the uh, uh, military teams together to draw a plan to intervene, to restore uh, uh, civilian rule in, in, in Niger. What prevents efforts from bringing these military teams together to put up a force to deal with the terrorist menace within the Sahel? Mm. So you, you see that it's as if we are just interested in maintaining elected leaders. Uh, I will not some uh, some of, of these. Uh, 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 elected leaders do not actually operate what we call democracy. They, in fact, they only win elections and, and that seems to be all they know. So you win elections, whatever means you used to win it, doesn't really matter. Once you are elected, then become like a, a big set to do whatever you want. Now, mm. if, you, if you look at the military option and all the things that they are doing, they seem not to be thinking about the weather group of the region, because if it is about the interests of the people of West Africa,
1: Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
8: ...to put the truth there, to be able to deal with it. If you don't put your truth there to deal with it, and then an leader is disposed. Then you said that that's what you put truth there. That means you are not dealing with the fundamentals of the issue, the insecurity, the, the, the other issue. If you allow leaders in the sub to remove the check limit and go cost free, which is more or less constitutional coup, and just say anything, and then military people intervene and you say that this one will not be accepted, then you are not actually dealing with the root. So yes, of course uh, we can have a solution, but the solution to Niger will not end the coup in West Africa. We must begin to deal with the underlying causes. What are the underlying causes? That when our leaders win elections, they virtually interpret the mandate to mean that. Uh, it's the black tech to do whatever policy they want to pursue. And if you look at the, the economies of these nations that are preparing to go to war, they are struggling. The question is, how are you going to finance war when your economy is struggling? Are you taxing your citizens who are suffering to go and finance war? So you are also virtually committing the same blunder that is leading to the coup. So the, 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 the option they have pursued from the beginning would rather reinforce the reason for the coup not dealing with the causes of the coup. so yes uh whatever solution we pursue whatever angle we take it from we must do the fundamental causes the issue of youth unemployment the issue of uh, backsliding democracies where people are sitting with the with the very principles enshrined in the constitution to protect them some of them remove uh people who the country guarantee their appointment and put other people just to do their ability if you do if you run democracy like this you run at the risk of ultimate coup d'état. So if we don't deal with some of these issues, uh, no matter how we engage the outside world, uh, this issue permits them to kind of uh, uh, penetrate the system and do what they want to do. You are able to do what the citizens are, are expect you to do, and they are happy with you. It is so difficult for the for the military to take the coup and get the support. They are only able to get support within the situation of the current. Uh, leadership crisis we are facing with the sub where where uh, leaders are virtually pursuing policies that uh, enrich themselves and improvise uh, the, the rest of the population.
5: Mm.
4: Should you know a reenactment of the Nigerian constitution be one of the uh, you know strategies to get the, the junta to agree to probably hand over power? Is it something that could work magic? Of
8: course, the, the junta has already considered that yes, they will return to civilian rule. And ultimately, what the constitution has been abrogated, uh, I would think that they will not return to civilian rule on in, on the same uh, on the same constitution, constitution. Because that constitution will contain provisions that prohibit anybody from overthrowing the constitution in the first place. So there will be a process of trying to get a new constitution in place, which may somehow reflect. Uh, some of the concerns of the society. So EQUOS must be interested in what is the nature of that constitution? What are the guarantees uh, that constitution offer for office holders that are critical? For instance, the Electoral Commission, the, the, the justices, all those critical. So those are the dynamics, of those critical uh, 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 provisions that will guarantee the democracy. And more importantly, you must be interested in how the constitution is functioning in a way that uh, allows the citizens Exercise
9: a lot of
4: control over leaders. Mm. Now, um, I'm reading from the uh, ISS and, and their report on how to deal with coups. One of the things they state is that since the surge in coups in 2021, successive PS, uh, PSC chairs, including Ghana and the Gambia, have persisted in tabling the issue for discussion. The need for a lead state or champion in this conversation cannot be overemphasized. As has become clear over the years, the AU is more robust when it comes, uh, when its uh, capable member states champion particular issues in a context of collective continental commitment. So, what they're asking for is a state to lead all of these discussions uh, to get us out of where we are. Is that, is, that, is that how you think we should go about it for one state to be the champion lead in all of the discussions? You see, in,
8: in, sometimes you need a country that will act a little bit as, as a hegemon within the region in order to have that influence over all the other parties. Mm. Yeah, that's an option that can be pursued. But then that, that option then raises the question, which of these countries in West Africa Is it Nigeria? Is it Ghana? Is it Cote d'Ivoire? Now, in terms of democratic virtues, in terms of democratic institutions, Ghana seems to be more uh, credible than the others. Because if you look at Nigeria, uh, some of the democratic institutions are not as robust as Ghana. For example, if you look at the election that brought their current president to power, it's quite controversial and questionable. So if you have him as a lead, then somebody will begin to question, uh, what is the democratic credentials uh, of this man to lead this process? And then again, so in terms of having Ghana, yes, we may be able to play the role, but then we will need a lot of resources to push others around to do what we are doing. Nigeria seems to be bigger, it seems to have the military class, it seems to have a lot, but then their own democratic institutions are not that robust. If you look at how they dealt with uh, uh, issues of, of, of demonstrations and protests, if you look at even their own ability to maintain security within Nigeria, dealing with the Boko Haram menace, that should tell you that they themselves may not be the best bet to lead this process. So the question with that approach is then, who would then lead the process? Because okay. the person might have has a well-without in terms of the democratic trapping, in terms of a robust economy, uh, that would permitted to then focus on addressing some of these international issues, but currently we don't have within the sub within uh, West Africa, we, we don't have that outstanding uh, democracy with the resources and the might to influence that. If you say, Cote d'Ivoire. Uh, Cote d'Ivoire have gone to a process where uh, virtually they were tinkering with their own constitution. so they all have their own uh, 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 baggages that they are carrying. So that approach, while well, it is. Uh, it is one of the ways to go, may be difficult within the current circumstances. As you see, it, then, it may be South Africa, but then South Africa also is within the broader African context. It may not be able to if have that level of influence it may have if it is in the SADC region in West Africa. So, among the three countries, Senegal, you look at the, uh, Senegal itself, the democratic credentials are, are going down. So they are not able to stand up to push others to, to democratic rule. I think that the best way in, in, in West Africa is Ghana. But then again, will our economy be taking a lot to play such a role?
4: Mm, mm, mm. Like Nkrumah did some time ago, uh, when countries were, were uh, seeking for their independence. Now the US uh, Institute for uh, Peace is also enumerating certain things. And, and uh, I, I come to you, Mumuni, here. Um, it says that uh, some US based analysts have proposed that we should allow democracy to lead in, in, in us stemming the tide in these coups. Now, they've said make democracy a greater priority with a more consistent, coordinated strategy and programs. Um, they've said buttress the pro democracy mechanisms of regional groupings such as the ECOWAS and the African Union, both in preventing coups and in responding when they take place build better transitions to democracy. But it is the same democracy that has has brought us here. So how do we build on this to give assurance that it is the way to go? Do you ever foresee the Janta, you know, relaxing in their demands, as in restoring democracy in three years?
6: Well, um... Democracy, of course, we all all come to agree to accept that democracy uh, is the worst form of government, but it is the best among the existing forms of government. Um, What it means is that it is not a given. Uh, For democracy to work here, we have to be very deliberate and intentional about the way we raise leaders. Leaders who are human rights compliant, leaders who are effective and functional, in responding to the needs of the people. Democracy should be about people, not about power. And we have seen it across the entire African space in the last half century. We have been un- I mean, incapable of sustaining democracy. And it's largely because uh, the fact is that the foundation on which we build democracy is a very, very weak one. For instance, we would continue to have instability we would continue to have cool kind of situations and insecurity and instability if the focus of leadership, the leadership that will put in place to manage the affairs of our countries, if their focus is on power and not on the people. Because in all cases, democracy should be about the people and their needs and aspirations. How do you build a foundation and an infrastructure that responds to the needs and aspirations of the people? So for instance... Where are working security and preventing violent extremism? We have come to appreciate that it appears that terrorist groups seem to understand young people better than the straight. They are able to understand the frustrations, the vulnerabilities around young people, their aspirations, and they are able to meet these aspirations, and so they have very loyal and dedicated followers who are ready to take up a gun in a motorbike, 100 dollars, and they are committed to do the job. Our governments are actually on the way, they are in the way of young people, instead of leading them and providing infrastructure for them. If you look at the entire West African space, we truly understand what democracy is about in terms of the theoretical understanding of what it is. And we do not have that culture that we need, the very deliberate foundation that we need to build to sustain democracy. And that's why you see countries, you know they move two, three steps and they move two steps back. Look at the case of Niger. Niger, you know, experienced something that everybody was very excited about, including international players, the United States, the EU. Everyone was excited about the progress Niger was making. Because for the first time, they had transitioned from a democratic rule, civilian rule, to another civilian rule. This same president that, you know, has been affected by this school, President Mm Bazou, Just the day before, two days before he was meant to be sworn in, there was a coup attempt. And so it tells you that the country has always been very vulnerable to coup situations. It's part of the modest gains they were making in terms of democracy. Democracy exists, but it's not sustainable. We are unable to sustain it because we are not intentional about the way we groom leaders to lead these countries. And if you look at what happened in Guinea, the same way, the Guinean situation is a situation that uh, you know, I can characterize as individuals who were angered by the pervasive situation of plunder and fakery in public office. Because these are people who, are, who surround the president. They see what goes on every single day in the presidency, around the president, of the cameras. The impunity with which they lead can't anger these guys to, take, to make the, take the cool decisions that they have taken. Okay. And if you notice, have you seen in all the four situations, nearly all of them are not the regular military guys. These are guys who are presidential guards who are around the president day and night, and they see what the president does off camera, on camera, the plunder, the fakery, the mm-hmm. corruption, the mm-hmm. impunity that mm-hmm. comes with public office and politics that can anger any sense, in any human being who will remain enough to respond to the people? Because these guys see in the open how people struggle on a daily basis, and yet there's too much waste going on. And they are encouraged by the human spirit to undertake a coup. And that's why we're seeing that happen. And so, for us to prevent the spread of coup, to stop the spirit of coups from happening, we need to build an infrastructure that is very deliberate about how to sustain democracy. The issues of good governance. Human rights issues. Mm. How do mm. you respond to the needs of the people? That's what I call the okay. entitlements of citizenship.
4: Okay. That is how can help stop this state of cruise. Okay, but, but I wanted to find out from you, and if you can do this for me in a minute, do you foresee the Janta leadership? Uh, I mean, relaxing in their demands of returning democracy, uh, you know, returning the country to democracy in the next three years? Do you do you foresee them doing that?
6: Well, if you listen to conversations, if you have contacts in there and speak to people around, you know, around leadership, uh, these are guys who are not, you know, they have been encouraged by the developments in the country to do what they have done.
1: And I believe that. Ask Sherwin-Williams during the four-day super sale, August 18th through the 21st, and get 40% off paints and stains with prices starting at 26.69. That means 40% off our most popular color family, blue psychologists have found it to be soothing and relaxing, which makes it especially great for bedrooms and bathrooms. And of course, get 40% off all of our other colors. Shop the sale online or visit your neighborhood Sherwin-Williams store. Click the banner to learn more. Retail sales only. Some exclusions apply. See store for details.
6: They would go through, they will would make promise, do the promise to transition the country to civilian rule within three years. I don't think that they would renege on that promise. But more importantly, it's not about them. It's not just about the cool leaders. It's about everyone. It's about the citizens and ECOWAS and other stakeholders. So we have to work together with them to ensure that we transition uh, the country back to civilian rule.
4: All right. Grateful to you, Mukhtar, uh, for joining us. Uh, Dr. Hovo, before I let you go, your final words on how uh, to deal with the, 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 the Nigeria situation. Okay. I think we've lost Dr. Hovo there, but you're still Uh, you're still watching the pause here on the journey channel we'll take a quick break we'll be back and uh, we'll be taking you straight to south africa where the BRICS summit will be happening stay with us
10: Smile, hmm? Look lively, okay?
8: Smile, smile. Is the money too small?
4: A bad stomach ruins your day. Don't let it. Take Gastron, your most
8: effective antacid, for the relief of symptoms of peptic ulcer, heartburn, gas pain, flatulence and indigestion.
11: Hey guys, what are you waiting for? Let's go, let's go.
8: Can you bring down the smiles more? <laughs> Gastron, effective
6: relief from stomach discomfort. Manufactured and distributed by NS Chemist Limited. This advertisement has been invented approved
2: by the FDA.
12: Daddy... Daddy, this tank is big!
13: Yes, that's true.
12: It can store a lot of water. That's
13: so true.
12: Wow, it has a working surface for it.
13: hmm that's so true.
12: I can see S-I-N-T-E-S, same That
14: is so true, my daughter.
16: When everybody came out, everybody's looking good, displaying their art, beautiful art everywhere. Um, this is my fifth year coming in a row, so I'm here every August for the festival. It's been amazing being with my black people all day, every day. It's been great. It's so fun here. Yeah. There are a lot of art things to do. So I personally love it, and I love the artworks. I love Chaluwate
12: 2022. It's fantastic. This year's experience is, uh, is marvelous.
7: It's amazing. It was challenging fit in my eye. You ought to be here. The painting, the people, the Ghanaians were awesome. Everyone, when you're in Ghana around the same time, make sure you check it out. It's really happening.
4: So, welcome back from the break. Let's uh, look at the BRICS Summit, which is happening in South Africa. Uh, my colleague, Blessed Soga, is there with us. But first, let's look at how the BRICS and all of that, all of what they stand for, what the intent is, uh, and what is the focus of this particular uh, meeting. Now, so if you ask yourself, what is BRICS? BRICS stands for uh, a coalition of uh, countries. So, Brazil, Russia, India. China and South Africa. BRICS includes these five countries. Now, they this was founded in 2009 as an informal club to challenge US and Western dominance. So, that is the purpose. They want to challenge uh, uh the dominance by the US and the Western countries. The BRICS uh so let's look at the capacity of, of these, these this union. The BRICS collectively constitute a quarter of the global economy. So if you divide the global economy into four, BRICS takes one of that. The BRICS makes up over 40% of the world's population. So if the world's population is 100 million, BRICS alone has 40 million of that population. And we are 8 billion people, so do the math. Now their focus includes economic cooperation and increasing multilateral trade and development amongst the member states. Five of them, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and, uh, you know, uh, 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 South Africa, which is in Africa. So which nations want to join BRICS and why? We understand that over 40 countries have expressed interest in joining the forum, according to 2023 summit chair South Africa. That's why the summit is happening in that country this year. Now... Uh, we understand that Iran has uh, submitted uh, their interest to join Argentina, Cuba, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, Algeria, Democratic Republic of Congo, Egypt, United Arab Emirates, Bolivia, Comoros, Ethiopia. All of these countries have uh, expressed interest in joining BRICS. So it tells you that BRICS is probably doing something right. So uh, why do these countries want to join BRICS? According to what we understand, they view BRICS as an alternative to global bodies. They also believe membership will unlock benefits, including development, finance, and increased trade and investment. Because you know what China is doing now. You know what Russia is doing. And, and and when you bring on board India, which is a very large economy, you look at South Africa, which is a, power, a, a powerful player in, in Africa and, and, and the international geopolitics, it tells you that all of what they are looking at is, is, is something that is worth it to, to try because they think in, when you join them, there will be increased trade and investment to you. So these are some of the reasons why these countries want to join the BRICS now. And... The summit uh, is happening in South Africa because it is the chair uh, for this year. My colleague Blessed Sugar uh, is joining us for a conversation uh, from South Africa. Now, Blessed, first of all, um, has the summit started or it hasn't? No.
7: Well, um, Grace, it's good to be connecting with you uh, from uh, Johannesburg here in South Africa. But the 15th uh, Bridge Summit is underway. Um, just last night, we yes, to the uh, census South Africa, and the civil nation, indicating that the country is ready to host. But 15 leaders were expected to be a part of this summit. Now, this summit is very important, knowing that the geopolitical uh, issues and the matters relating to economic and financial. Problems, Reform is the the agenda for the world. Uh, we know that after the COVID nineteen pandemic, many countries are trying to explore new new alliances, and um, to boost economic, um, you know, uh, around and also to ensure that the world is a safer place. You know? and so which which uh, which so, yeah, traditionally was the ally of Brazil. Russia, India, and China, uh, as well as South Africa, we are beginning to rethink and to reshape this multilateral body to include the rest of Africa and not just Africa. But they are now seeking to do an outreach which we see more and more countries applying to be a member of the alliance. Uh, The alliance is very critical because if you look at some of the billions, we have China. China was a trading partner to um, Africa, not just Ghana, because if you look at the uh, trading, um, the mechanism of planning there's a communication like this is uh, a strength for the continent so uh, and that suggests that these are the reasons uh, for which the multilateral framework is seeking to do one in positive outreach to get more African community to participate in the bridge so I thought that would be a new amount that would shape development that would be on is the, the reason for which child uh, there here that, you to of all, uh, the that South an and how intend to on the to also across the uh, just last month the questions of South Africa Zero also indicated that there are concerns that are some people West which is it's not being helpful now when it comes um, to and greater placement of the continent. We that now is the host of the African continental free trade area. However, in recent developments of the UPA, it's yeah. beginning in the works of zero-map, it was actually yeah. threatening you know, the advancement of that framework. And it's uh, the reason that uh, Africa like says they're willing to work to make African Union to support countries which recently experienced the UTA, and I are that every country across the yeah. continent will be on a constitutional rule, which will now provide a framework for each. International trade and financial. So, these of the issues coming up already ahead of that summit. There's an issue as to whether or the Russian president is be put in the view of this engagement. He has quite a bit of except to say that, according to the President
4: of South Africa. Well, well um, if you could reposition yourself for us, we'll be grateful so we can really have a clear feed from where you are. There seems to be some interference in, in, in sound from where you are. So if you could uh, reposition your yourself a bit so we could have a clear uh, sound from your end, it would be grateful because you're giving us some very good information about what's happening, but there is an interference in, in your sound from where you are. So if you could reposition yourself a bit for us, it would be a great deal for us and the viewers. Uh, let, let's try again. Uh, so you, 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 how is South Africa itself gearing up for this uh, summit. All right, uh, so for those of you who just joined us, the question you probably may be asking yourself is, so what is BRICS? Let's share with you what we, we do know about BRICS. Now, BRICS is uh, you know, a, a, an association or a union of a sort of four, of five nations. So we have Brazil, we have Russia, we have India, China, and South Africa. And uh, this union was founded in 2009 as an informal club to challenge U.S. and the Western dominance. So they were tired of our U.S. was just, uh, you know, moving everybody along. So they decided to form this one to challenge them. Now, these countries form a quarter of the world's population, you know. So if you you join the world together, they, they make... Uh, one quarter of the world, they are, uh, uh, so, 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 so that's what it is, I mean, they, they constitute a quarter of the global economy, they make up 40% of the world's population, their focus includes economic cooperation and increasing multilateral trade and development amongst member states. Now, we understand other countries want to join them, over 40 already have, uh, you know, submitted interest to join them. We understand that Iran has uh, um, submitted interest to join. Argentina has also done say, same. Cuba has. Indonesia has. Saudi Arabia, Algeria, Democratic Republic of Congo. We have Egypt, we have United Arab Emirates. We have Bol- Bol- uh, Bolivia, Comoros, and Ethiopia. And uh, um, um, Blazer Sogar has rejoined us, OK? So we are. Uh, trying the lines to get him back. But in the meantime, uh, to other stories now, Land Commission is this afternoon responding to a study conducted by the United Nations Office, Office of Drugs and Crime uh, in, 2020, um, in 2021, which showed that the Land Commission was the most corrupt institution in Ghana in 2021. The data showed the top bribe taking institutions in Ghana, with Land Commission officers collecting the biggest bribes among public officials in Ghana. The Lands Commission, an agency under the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources, in the study showed that officials at the agency uh, take cash bribes with an average bribe size of 1,669. The Ghana Police Service is at the 12th position. Now, I'll be speaking to the Executive Secretary of the Lands Commission, James Corbinat-Dudson.
13: Well, we, are, we are responding to this because of the publicity that it has generated recently. Um, uh, I recall last year granting an interview to a media house and and informing them that we think that the way the research is conducted, um, there should be another approach to this, that when you want to bring out something into the public domain, you you also aim to help us to correct what we are doing, uh, which is not right. And so if you come and you have an engagement and we are not aware, and the first time that we become aware is when it goes public, um, there, there may be some inaccuracies in the report. So as you know, when auditors, for example, go around to do auditing, There's something called an exit conference, so they will meet management, and then some of the issues, of course, they may not be expected in our field, so there will be the need for some clarification. Some of them are not acceptable to them, so it goes all the way to Parliament. The Public Accounts Committee of Parliament will have to um, invite us for us to address some of them. Some of them, by the time you are meeting the Public Accounts Committee, you would have even resolved. So... These these are the approaches that we would recommend that they they be adopted. As I said in my presentation, we are not defending our staff because we are not angels in that office. All that we want is that if some staff have been involved in these unacceptable practices, let us know because we also have our own sanctions. Recently, some staff were involved in stamp duty fraud and they are before the courts now. They've been interdicted, you know, so it is not an institution that condones illegality um, in in, in any form at all. And so we think that when any such research is is being undertaken, um, you can secretly go out there, do it, get your findings. But there should be some kind of engagement. As I said, every staff in the office is properly identified. You will see my name, you will see my rank. And so if somebody is out there soliciting, and the person is not a staff, and you go and transact with that person, and you, the person takes money from you, then these um, researchers come, and then they interview you. So, oh, I went to Lands and somebody took my money. And this is all about Lands Commission. As to who they spoke to, whether the person is an official of the office, whether a person is, uh, is uh, a guru boy or an estate agent, uh, it is very difficult for us to determine. And we, we think that um, they, they have to take a second look at that, that approach, that if we are involved, they should let us know. If those people too are involved, um, they should let us know. Then we can find a way of getting rid, rid of the bad nuts uh, amongst them. We we want to encourage the public that it's an office, it's a public institution and we have the structures to deal with your complaints, that people should be able to come to us across the country so that um, not only to access our services but also um, to ensure that the right thing is done. I said also that we think that technology can help eliminate some of these things. If, for example, you can make your payment online using the Ghana.gov platform, you don't have to pay bribe to the, <laughs> to the computer. You just have to pay the exact amount and your receipt will be printed for you. You attach it to your document and submit it. So there's no bribe here. You just pay the exact amount that is set for you. These are statutory fees you pay and then the processing is done for you. And so that um, these experiences that people have, um, we think that and they are not acceptable. Let's look at it again, and, and I'm sure we'll have a better and a more productive report the next time around that they, they, they do such a research. Who took the bribe? If there's evidence that the person is a staff, you can see my tag and my name on it clearly. If you think that you want to help us solve a problem, you have to report and sometimes somebody will tell you that, oh, I came to the office and somebody tried to take money from you. Okay, who, who attempted to take money from you or who took your money? They go silent because they don't want to expose people. They don't want to report people. But we are helping to build our society. We are helping to have a better Lance Commission. So if somebody misbehaves, please let us know. And the other thing too, we do, when we recruit new staff, we give them detailed orientation so that they know the do's and the don'ts. If you if you do something that is wrong, as I said, you will face the law. We will interdict you. We have a disciplinary committee. All of those things. Of course, if we are disciplining somebody, it may not come out in the public domain. But we are not sleeping. We are dealing with such situations as and when they come. And But I want to say that a lot of these things that are going on don't directly involve our staff. They involve people who... Has made, have made it their business they go out there they are in the chief's uh, uh, premises um, facilitating sale or purchase of land and then they will continue and say oh I will take it and go and register it for you so they are all over the place what we are saying is that the technology that we were embarking upon we want to ensure that all of these things become a thing of the past that if, if, if for example the bank can do online search before they grant a mortgage if the chiefs um, have the right staff in their secretariat to prepare the land documents and give it to you to come and register. We don't think that um, these people will be will be needed. In any case, what we are also doing um, under the um, estate agency law is to ensure that these facilities, because it's a profession, surveying is a profession, estate management is a profession, estate agency or facility management is a profession, that these people are well-trained, these, um, The lawyers, the other professionals in this, in this field, surveyors, who have their own fixed addresses, who can be contacted. If there's a problem, you can go to them. Not the people who sit under the tree and they take your document, they have no fixed address, and when there's a problem, you cannot even find them. They go underground. So we think that um, moving forward, that is another way to go, that we have people who are trained, who can handle documents on behalf of uh, of of, uh, of the public? Because the reality is that you are a journalist. it's a profession. Land administration is also another profession. So you don't, as a layman, you may not understand. We think that the services of these. Uh, professionals must be used so that you know, we all speak the same language. The man submitting the document understands what we do, and we also understand and appreciate where he's coming from. Then together we can help resolve, resolve um, all the challenges that are associated with land transactions and things of that nature. Um, it is not about being victimized. We, we are building our society, and we think that the only way you can help us to expose the wrongdoing and we'll deal with a situation like that Uh, we haven't had a situation where because somebody has reported a staff or or an agent then that person is victimized it rather gives us an opportunity to deal with your case the way it is expected and so there's no victimization here um we don't we don't do that all we want to do is do what is right we expect the public, please help us to know who is doing what is wrong. And then we will also be able to render better
4: services to you. But, but if you allow the girl boys to be on your, on your compound, because that's, you, are, you have your office, you know the people you work with, so if you allow them there, someone who doesn't know your staff will come and deal with them. So you cannot exonerate yourself completely from what's happening. Yeah, that, that is true. Even the infrastructure, the office
13: arrangement that we have today where we have offices scattered all over the place if it's an office where there's one gate and there's one entrance it will be easy to deal with the people who are coming there and they have no business coming to our premises but we have um, a situation where The way the offices are scattered people just come in anytime and mind you it's a public office so sometimes it's difficult to say hey you go away or you don't come here the man can come holding his his briefcase or his laptop and he's saying that i want to come and do a search i want to come and do this or that so you don't just drive people away you must have a reason to drive them away and these people they come in there, haven't gone to take documents from other people. Sometimes they will stand outside the premises and they'll be watching. They see that oh, somebody is coming there. Obviously, the person doesn't even know where he's going. Then they will cash in and say, oh, um, can I help? And then they, they, they go in there and this is where the trouble begins. And so it is, it is not a question of, oh, you know these people and why don't you drive them away? They don't come there pretending or behaving as if they are not holding anything. They come there, and they, they, will, they are coming to transact. And it's a public office. You cannot drive them away. You know? So that is the difficulty that, that we have. But we are saying that um, in the shortest possible time, technology is going to aid us, that the, the owner of a document is the one who will come and transact, that there will be no need as a result of technology for any middleman to come in. That where middlemen will come in, they will come in as proper trained estate agents representing their clients, like lawyers do, like any other professionals do. So, so that is that is where we we are aiming to get to.
4: All right. So if you go to the Lands Commission and someone takes money from you, report it, that's what the Lands Commission is telling us today. But uh, let 's talk about the economy now, uh, focusing on the Bank of Ghana and find out whether or not they uh, before the IMF deal what really happened to the debt exchange program. Uh, Isaac Kofije is with our data and research team, and he joins me in studio with some more analysis on that Kofi. What does the data say right, so
14: brace, so we know that um... Because of our unsustainable debt situation. That was the reason why we had to do the domestic debt exchange program. And without that, there was mm-hmm. no way we we're going to get that $3 billion beta package from the IMF. Mm-hmm. And so we had to do this both at the external level and at the domestic level. Mm-hmm. So let me take you through the domestic level, the target. So, before the first target or the initial target of this DDEP, was 137 billion Ghana cities. That was the total amount we were aiming to restructure, to come back to that 55% debt to GDP ratio, which the IMF deems sustainable for us to get the program. Mm. And then we realized that government did a number of um, revisions in terms of this target. And so that 137 billion Ghana cities was revised, not once, not twice, but three times, from 137 now to 97.7 uh, billion Ghana cities. And so this simply tells you that if you look at the first target, which is 137 billion, mm-hmm. and the target that governments actually worked with to get that 85% success rate, then the difference between the initial target and the target that was really, um, you know, utilized in the DDP the difference was around... Forty billion Ghana cedis. So just by government's decisions to, you know, exclude some people, which according to the finance ministry, these people were allowed to, you know, um, um, trade their bonds for treasury bills. There were some other people that were also deemed not, you know, qualified to participate in this DDEP, and so all of these people were excluded and the government had to forego 40 billion Ghana cities. Mm. Now, after this, remember, the governor made it very clear today that Bank of, the finance ministry went to IMF, and you know they saw the target and all of that, and they realized that without they going to the Bank of Ghana for them to suffer a haircut of 50%, there was no way that we were going to meet that threshold of 55% debt-to-GDP ratio. Mm. And so the Bank of Ghana had to come in to take a haircut of almost 58, 48.8 billion Ghana cities. They've made this point before. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So governments uh, for, for went around um, some 40 billion cities mm. and then goes to Bank of Ghana to say, if you don't rescue us with a haircut of 48.8 billion cities, mm we will not be able to get the IMF program. So the question we are asking is, government allow some people to trade their bonds for mm-hmm. treasury bills. In fact, it said some people were excluded. Individual bondholders mm-hmm. were excluded, but later on we realized all of those people were roped into the program and asked to come and exchange. So forgoing $40 billion just by exemption and going to Bank of Ghana to take uh, a haircut mm-hmm. of $48.8 billion, We are asking, was it an easy way that government felt it was going to use to get to that 55% threshold? Mm -hmm. Was was, was it
4: not to protect probably the individuals who had invested in the economy and who were not willing to be part of the program? Um, and say that, well, the easy thing is for the state to take on this debt well, I mean, and allow the individuals yeah, to right, yeah, really keep, keep yeah. the investment the, debt the,
14: debt. the Trump card was mm. that uh, it was time for burden sharing. Exactly. So if it's burden sharing, that means that you need to share the burden in mm. a certain way that some um, somebody doesn't carry their entire burden or it doesn't look like some people are working freely. Mm. And we need clarity on those who were allowed to trade their bonds. Okay for treasury bill. That's all we're asking. We need clarity on that and why Bank of Ghana had to take that heavy hit. Because we okay. can feel that it, per the data, if government had gone ahead with that initial target of one thirty seven billion mm. Ghana CDs, I am simply not sure Bank of Ghana would have, have. gone ahead mm. to take that heavy hit of close to 50 billion Ghana cities. Okay,
4: uh, Dr. Ernest Addison, who is governor of the central bank, has been addressing uh, the, some matters related to the bank's activities today. The
15: national capital market for new financing immediately triggered a liquidity crisis for government, spilling over into a balance of payments crisis, as the country had to continue to honor its debt service obligations, energy payments, an import bill. In keeping up with these critical external payments, the Bank of Ghana lost $500 million in external reserves in just two months, with no new inflows of foreign currency from the usual annual Eurobond issuance to replenish its reserves. Furthermore, to help address government's liquidity crisis, the bank extended additional overdraft to the government to address auction failures and prevent domestic default and enabled government to meet domestic debt obligations and other critical payments needed to avoid a disorderly halt to economic activity. Throughout the first half of 2022, there was no new foreign financing until July when the afri Bank stepped in to support with $750 million U.S. dollars. This is a typical replay of what is referred to in the literature as a first-generation macroeconomic and balance of payments crisis. You would recall that many people doubted if the economy was in crisis because they did not hear that interest rates on bonds were not being paid in early 2022. They did not see queues at the pump for petrol and diesel. There were no shortages of international essential items on the market, and they did not hear that public sector workers, including civil servants, the police, and the military, were not being paid their salaries. The reason was that the Bank of Ghana had provided the needed support to keep the economy going. These are the circumstances that led government to approach the IMF for support in July 2022. The IMF immediately sent in a mission to assess the economic situation. The mission concluded that the economy was a tipping point and it was agreed with the understanding of the IMF that the Bank of Ghana should continue to provide the necessary support to keep the economy running until the reform program had been put in place which will trigger IMF financing. The portrait painted above of the Ghanaian economy in 2022 was similar to what pertained in many other frontier and emerging market economies. Key among countries with similar experiences were Egypt, Argentina, Turkey, Kenya, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka, just to mention a few. What separated these countries and their ability to hold their economies until a package of reforms were introduced was the availability of policy buffers and resilience of key.
4: So that was the uh, Bank of Ghana governor, Dr. Ernest Addison, there. Now let's uh, bring you something that's uh, sad and shocking. Now, the tragic phenomenon of children taking their own lives is a heart wrenching issue that has become increasingly prevalent in recent years. These young ones are uh, uh, extinguished far too early leaving families, communities and, and, and the country in general um, uh, to grappling with the aftermath. According to experts from the mental health struggles of these children to the excessive academic pressure uh, driven by high expectations from parents or educational institutions can push children to the brink. Uh, in part two of our online documentary Whispers in the Dark, my colleague on him in Terria Um, delves into what pushes some children to take their own lives and explores the vital roles parent and educational institutions uh, and institutions of state can play in preventing these tragic losses. Jared was a stellar student
10: and academically disciplined who maintained an academic GPA of 4.0. He was awarded a Triton College Scholarship Program Scholarship After high school in 2019, his parents and siblings, who are yet to come to terms with his death, have been left in a state of confusion.
17: Death is death, but suicide death is a different death. Why is it different? Because the loved ones left behind are left to ponder as to why. You can blame it on anybody, but yourself or somebody. So that's why it makes it a unique death. If somebody killed or if they had a car accident, you can just say, oh, he was on his way to a different town and then he got, you know, rear ended or T-boned by another vehicle and so he died of a motor vehicle accident. But in this case, it's unique. And you, you just wonder, what was the person experiencing, right? Why were you not available? What could you have done differently to have helped the person? And then you just keep wondering. It never ends. And the pain I just just can't describe.
10: Little did the family know Jared described as a complete student was battling with depression, a mental health condition from his teenage days, something he kept from his relatives.
17: He did actually start experiencing that and, you know, he never discussed it. But just combing through his stuff and some of the notes that he had left was able to confirm that he was battling depression and societal thoughts and he didn't know how to share it. Uh, But I quite remember that he was, although... He was very enthusiastic. He was one of the kids that was very shy and almost very isolative in most instances. So all the time I had to call him to come out and do stuff. But I never connected the dots because he came out, he would do what he needs to do. But I didn't realize that when he was alone, He was struggling with his mind. He was battling his mind and he was in a really, really dark place um, that he never disclosed.
10: There is, however, hope for people with suicidal ideation and other mental health issues. The Mental Health Authority has introduced a life-saving intervention by offering persons who require psychosocial support the opportunity to call and receive instant advice from mental health experts. The call comes at no cost to call us. Health Minister Kwekwaji Maimeno says he's aware there has been an absage in the number of suicide cases involving children.
4: We are very much aware. We have a whole agency that works in that mental health authority. Some time back, this thing was coming up. There was an absage, and the, the chief executive for that authority actually had to talk to the nation and things like that. Uh, we need to get some reports from them at the moment.
10: Whilst promising an action on the situation, Mr Menu, who is also a member of parliament for the Centre, described as prompter details of our findings on how lives of children are being lost to suicide. We have
4: created what we call the Psychology Council. It is working now. We are registering psychologists. Some of these challenges we need to resolve with some psychology advice and things like that. So we are head on. With that, But you see, there are certain things that you wouldn't know immediately when it's mental disorders, until something happens. But
14: I think this is a prompter. Uh, we'll see how we can reconcentrate and put attentions in
4: that respect. So the full documentary plays uh, tonight at 8.30 p.m. Do make a date. So let me take you to, uh, you know, a festival uh, for, for which, which has become something that people look forward to. But the name is one that, you know, depends on where you're coming from. You mentioned it some way, but it is Chale Wote. So this, yeah, this is a festival of arts and culture. So people paint the street, they, they bring art. You look at it, you know, there's a cultural display. But there's something unique about this year, because this year it's moving to a place that is regarded as part of Ghana's history. You cannot tell history, uh, the country's history, without um, mentioning that, that place. It, uh, Osu, my colleague um, Jacqueline and Boa is there now. Let's join her uh, for update on what is happening there. It's, it's, the, the event is happening today, so 27th of this month. So Jacqueline, uh, you are there. What's happening?
16: All right, Bray, so um, currently we are here at the Osu Castle, and the procession is about to begin, just as you can see, they are all clothed in white, I'm about to um, start the procession into the main Osu Street. Um, so they started not long ago, initially there was a bit of registration, and the people were gathering around, and this is also the 13th edition of the chalewate Festival. So I have um, one of the members here who just gave me a brief um, as to what they did earlier. So. They poured libation, we just want to know more about it. So, Ni, um, can you tell me more about what ha- just happened earlier?
12: Hey, we are processing from the Christian World Castle to the Osu Township, and as you can see, we have the Osu Ulomo, who is the principal chief Ulomo of the Osu yeah. So, you need to, once you are passing to somebody's. I you need to go to the person's house and ask for permission. Okay, so that was what you did earlier. We went there for the Wulomo to pray for us so that it will be a successful procession. Okay. What is going to be any bad or any negative energy should be drive away.
13: Okay. So we
12: went there to pay homage uh, to the ancestors. Okay. So, as, we, as you can see, we went to the Wulomo's place to. For us, so that we can have a successful possession,
16: okay. All right, me, I see you have this around your neck. What does it signify? And first of all, what's the name of it?
12: It's called iso. In the local language you call it,
16: Nyanyina.
12: Okay. that is called isup. We are used to drive away negative energies as we uh, we possess through a township. We have some bad and neg- negative or negative energies around. Okay. So, this is a, oh, a in spirituality, it's used to drive away negative energies and also. Serve as a cleanser for purification.
16: All right, sure. Um, um so current where are we heading to now? Where is
12: to us to the Usu Township and back to the Christian Board Castle again?
16: Okay all right. Um, so just as you heard from me, um, this is going to be a very silent procession. Uh, there wouldn't be much noise right now. Dear. Everyone is going to be quiet. Very, very silent. Um, You're just thanking their gods. That is why they are clothed in white right now. So just as there is going to be much more um, development, we will definitely come to you. We, we also have Miss Bell here. Miss Bell, how are you? I'm okay. Um, so how do you see the whole procession so far? It just started. It's spiritual. And it's going well. Well put together. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And um, what is the... I see you having this one. Um, does it mean anything to you? Um, it's an African accessory. But yes, you can put um, some cleansing spirits in there. So as we are walking, if you, the energy doesn't feel right, you cleanse yourself. Right. So, are you going to be here throughout? Because it's a week-long festivity. How long are you going to be here throughout? I can't. I can't tell because I'm also having an event coming up at my pub. So um, it will be on and off. But I'll make sure I'm here most of the time too to have the chalewati feel. <laughs> okay. So um, just as you heard from Ms. Bell, um, the Chaluwate Festival um, just began and is a very quiet procession. Um, so we are joining them um, to get to the Osu Township itself. And just as more develops, we would um, definitely report on that.
4: So this beautiful event is uh, on from today till 27th. Be there and let's experience culture in a different, different dimension. That's Charlie Water for you, proudly uh, partnered uh, by the Multimedia Group. I mean, we make it happen. Well, my name is Samuel Kojo-Braze, and on behalf of the team, I say thank you so much for being with us. But as I end, let me say a special birthday to you, Chairman Alamu of uh, Ghana National Gas Company. Uh, chairman have a brilliant brilliant day from all of us here join you is a happy birthday to you good afternoon World where determination meets innovation.
16: Taliwati! Everybody came out, everybody's looking good, displaying their art, beautiful art everywhere. Um, this is my fifth year coming in a row. So I'm here every August for the festival. It's been amazing being with my black people all day, every day. It's been great. It's so fun, here. Yeah. There are a lot of art things to do. I personally love it. And I love the artworks. I love
12: Chaluwate 2022.
8: It's fantastic. This year's experience is, uh,
12: is marvelous.
7: It's amazing. It's Chaluwate festival. You ought to be here. The painting, the people, the Guineans were awesome everyone when you're in ghana around the same time make sure you check it out it's really happening
17: Crystal clear and thrilling podcast and live shows. Download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Online, Amazon Services like Echo, Amazon Music, and Audible, Stitcher, Atom Online, Overcast, and Pandora. Take note of everything. Sign up for the multibig digital platforms now to stay updated.
11: It's a beautiful day and I'm so excited to be here with you obviously to share with you everything in your world of showbiz but most importantly I hope you had a good weekend coupled with rains and exciting events as well but in all in all we're just going to put everything together for you to experience that weekend as well. My name is Doreen Avio and today I'm here with some amazing people. Hmm, Just relax as I bring them to you one after the other. If you're just joining me, this is Let's Talk Showbiz and of course, as I said, it comes with so much excitement. Uh, should I say for some time now, we've just been drumming it into your ears, Chalewate Festival, Chalewate Festival is finally here and it's all starting today. Obviously, there's going to be a procession and it comes with all the mountain of paintings and, you know, beautiful arts and all that. It has started today, so just so you know, my colleague IB was there and he had to just make us have a feel of what we expect in the coming days. So let's check out what IB has for us today.
15: So we're here
6: at the Christian Bar Castle, the first day of the Charlotte Street Art Festival 2013. And you can already see, yeah, setup is ongoing. All the exhibitors are setting up here in the castle gardens. And I mean, we're going to go everywhere. But first, uh, he says he calls himself or uh, his name is afro You know, how are you doing? Good. <laughs> So why afro-hornism? afrohornism? What is the rationale behind afrohornism?
9: Afrohornism is a made-up word. Mm-hmm. It talks about the history of cow horns and how history and um, cow played an uh, important role in Ghanaian mm. and Africa history. Okay. Okay. So what is this? What, what okay. What do you use
15: for this in the first place?
9: Actually, my works are made up of cow horns with fishing line. So I assemble them together. I cut the cow horns into pieces, then I assemble them, then weave with fishing line together to create portraits and abstracts. So these are cow horns? Cow horns. Cow horns. Yes. Like ping-ping, ping? No, no, no. Uh-huh. Cow, cow. Ah,
6: cow, they are horns. Oh, okay. The horns. Yeah. horns for, oh, okay. Horn of, a, of, a, of cow. a cow. And then you cut them into these into shapes? Into
9: pieces, then I arrange them, assemble them together, and I, I stitch with fishing line.
6: What, what are you trying to communicate with us? What is this?
9: This, this work is, is titled uh, Th- uh, Tambu Woman. Mm-hmm. It's the Afro-Brazilians who migrated from Brazil to Ghana, okay. Okay. current Ghana. Mm-hmm. This work talks about the freedom of women who imparted um, through slavery, the, how they imparted um, f- uh, freedom to
7: slavery.